0: Greetings in Jesus' name here on this special day. A special day is the Lord's Day, right? And it is Mother's Day, which is, of course, secondary. And I get the privilege to speak to mothers. I, um, I, te- messages. For me, messages tend to go better when I have an audience. Not not always that. Not not that the audience is always impressed by that, but it is easier for me to speak to who I'm speaking to. So, um, we will try to do that some this morning. Mothers, mothers are women. Women in general. Are designed by God to nurture. It's they're more nurturing. It's they're the fairer sex. They are their 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 softer voices and their their instincts are made to nurture life. And that extends to the animal kingdom. Uh, but I mean, I said. Women in general are made to nurture life, but it's especially true for mothers. And that extends into the animal kingdom to some, not to all the animal kingdom. There are some animal mothers who have no concern about their young. But you remember when Jesus said, when he wept over Jerusalem, said, oh, I would have gathered you like a hen gathers her chicks. There you see a mother the nurturing, caring, protecting instinct. And then you have Proverbs, where Solomon is just using a regular natural phenomenon. He said, Proverbs 17, 12, let a bear robbed of her whelps meet a man rather than a fool in his folly. So using a bear, a she-bear, that has her cubs taken from her. Now, that's just the analogy. A fool in his folly is pretty bad, (laughs) according to that illustration. But mothers naturally care and nurture their young. So I don't know. I'm thinking of how I can encourage mothers without patronizing you. Without, um, my my goal generally is to help you maybe back up a little bit from the, you know, life becomes just every day just in and out and so on. And I know mothers, all you mothers are at different places in the stages in your life. Not all mothers are at the same place. But to be able to step back and see the grander scheme of things is one of my goals this morning, and then give some practical direction in how to achieve those, the grand scheme of things. And I thought of some possible titles. Uh, Nurturing Life would be a title, maybe Missional Motherhood. How about Empire Builders or Kingdom Builders? Or the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. But I chose this one. I chose this one. said mother is a verb. <laughs> mother is a verb. Now, I don't know how well that title... I'm not, I don't do well with titles. And so that title doesn't... But it, it does bring out some of the, what I'm going to plan to do this morning. Because you are not just a mom... You are well to 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 step back and see the grand scheme of things. Uh, you probably remember the story of the three men. They were building what is St. Peter's Cathedral, and they were bricklayers. And so they asked the different men what they were doing. And the one man was he well I'm laying bricks, and the other well I'm you know whatever I'm building this wall. And the third one was, I am building a grand cathedral. So, what are you doing, mother? Are you making meals and cooking and do Or are you building something great? Mothers are created to nurture life, the life that God Himself has created. And I guess that is one of the reasons Satan hates motherhood. Um, There are forces in the world that are bent on extinguishing life. Especially life that's created in the image of God. And God calls us to nurture life. Now mothers are... Mothers are, and I can tell you about some grand scheme of who mothers are and all that, but mothers are needy, somewhat self centered, inadequate, impatient people that God uses to do one of the most honorable professions on earth (laughs) nurturing and caring and raising children. And mother is a verb. It's a verb like serving is a word, a verb. And caregiving, I thought caregiving. Well, caregiving is actually not a word. That's a noun, probably, isn't it? Is that right? Caregiving is a noun, but caring, nurturing, sacrificing, teaching. And is losing sleep a verb? <laughs> but mothers do. Mothers do that. The mission of God fearing mothers is to raise children to be worshipers of God. Now, that's a grand scheme. God has purposed that his people would show forth his glory in enemy territory. And mothers have an oversized role in that. In that. So your service, mothers... To God is a holy service, and uh, children really matter. Um, children are created in the image of God, and uh, in a sinner, in a sinner, the image of God is marred, and in a Christian, that image of God is being restored. And here is the main purpose of a Christian home. It's a huge part of your responsibility, mothers, beyond cooking meals and washing dishes and cleaning the house and running errands and whatever else a a busy mother does. The primary purpose of a Christian home is to raise children who will bear the restored image of God. Your children, and going on, your grandchildren, and on down the line, are the next stage in this restored image race. You can turn to Judges, Judges chapter two, talking about your um, your impact and your responsibility when you do it and we're going to look at the book of judge well look at a passage out of the book of judges and the book of judges is not my most inspiring book to read in fact next to lamentations i think judges is the most depressing book in fact it's absolutely horrible at times but it's not a mystery why the victorious children of israel descended into such Moral moraz. In fact, it's clearly stated. So let's read here in Judges chapter 2, starting at verse 7. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in timoth Heraz in the Mount of Ephraim on the north side of the hill Gash. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth, And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel And he delivered them into the hands of spoilers that spoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. There was a new generation who did not know the Lord. Now, God had not failed, God was faithful. God had fulfilled every last one of his promises. And not one of his promises failed. So who failed? Well, it was a collective failure. It was a community failure. It was a people of God failure. It was an identity failure. It was a father failure and a mother failure. And it takes just one generation for this to happen. Even just one generation after a mighty work of the Lord was done among the people. The outcome was that there was a generation of children who grew up, and this next generation of children grew up and became fathers and mothers. And these fathers and mothers did not know God. And then they violated the commands of, commands of God. And the result was, they could not any longer stand before their enemies. You know, I know of a grandfather, and a father, and a son. Where grandfather was a Christian, at least a Christian in the sense, I don't know him very well personally, but he's a Christian in the sense he was involved in the Lord's work. Father at one point quit going to church and divorced his wife and his children that's his grandfather, father, children, everyone last everyone last one of those children are in a complete moral morass. They cannot stand before their enemies. There are enemies in their lives and they are under the control of enemies. I have seen that we you have probably seen it too that when this happens here like here in judges or when it happens in our day which it does the children eventually become captive in bondage to the enemy and so what is the answer what is the alternative Well, it's the Great Commission at the end of Matthew, and it says here Go ye therefore and mother all your children, preparing them for baptism, and teaching them to observe all things, whatever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. That is the alternative. To what we read in Judges. Mother, go ye and mother all your children, preparing them to meet the Lord, to come to the Lord. And I thought of Timothy. Timothy was Paul's favorite disciple. And of all Paul's helpers, Timothy came out on top. You know, we know some of the other disciples' mothers' names. Who was Peter's mother's name? Anybody know? Her name was Joanna. His name. Am I correct with that? That was my research. Am I wrong? Maybe I'm wrong. Okay, take it. To you. There's a few of the disciples. Uh, we had John and James. Their mother's name was Salome. John Mark's mother was Mary, but there's more information given of Timothy than the others, and you can turn second Timothy one five turn there, please Second Timothy chapter one, verse five in this letter to Timothy by Paul his favorite disciple when i call thee when i call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee now Timothy had unfeigned faith which is that's probably what made him stand out so far but listen that unfeigned faith which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother and I am persuaded that in thee also. Mother and grandmother. I wonder what this home was like. So we're talking about Mother's Day. We have mothers and grandmothers in a home having a son who grew up to be Paul's favorite disciple. What was going on in this home? Well, we have a few hints. We have one here. First it's stated, which is unfeigned faith. And that that unfeigned faith is a common co- common denominator. Grandmother had it, mother had it, and son has it. There's that common denominator, unfeigned faith. And and as I just thought, what is unfeigned? And and the dictionary just gives it as spontaneous and absence of pretense. And there's some cinnamons I would like to look at just to broaden a little bit out. Um, Talking about faith by mothers in the home, a cinnamon of unfeigned is sincere, which simply means absence of hypocrisy or any falsifying embellishment or exaggeration. An example is given is a sincere apology. Now, you know what the difference is between an apology and a sincere one. A sincere apology is an unfeigned one. It's real, okay? So we're talking about faith that's real. And another cinnamon that the dictionary had was wholehearted, which means sincerity and honest devotion without reservation or misgivings. And the example was given of promising... Uh, yeah, uh, just a wording a uh, sentence. We promised our wholehearted support. Do you recognize the difference between support and wholehearted support? You know, it, it's not the same. Support is, that's good. Wholehearted support. When you got that, you got it. And the third one, the last one I'm going to talk about is unfeigned, is Heartfelt which is depth of genuine feeling outwardly expressed. Depth of genuine feeling that is outwardly expressed. And uh, it expresses our heartfelt gratitude. In other words, I really feel it and I expressed it. So the main purpose for mothers is to raise up Worshippers of God to prime children to become restored image bearers of God to be kingdom builders to be empire builders and Timothy's home did that he grew up he worshiped God and and he was restored As, as an image bearer he became a Christian and he built God's kingdom. Timothy's home did that, and I want to say specifically, Timothy's maternal element of his home did that. Uh, his father was a Greek, and we know nothing else more about that except his mother was a Jew, his father was a Greek. Therefore, the potential is his father may have been an unbeliever or, you know, who knows what he was. We don't know. The main purpose for mothers was to raise up worshipers of God, and a primary element in this home was this unfeigned, sincere, wholehearted, heartfelt faith. These mothers were for real. They weren't playing church. Their prayers were real. Their devotion towards God was real. Their obedience was real was conscientious and from the heart. And what we read this morning, it just fits right in there. And you know the next question, don't you? (laughs) How is your faith, Mother? (laughs) Because fruit is the result of seed and growth. And then you have fruit. And it's a good time to remember right now. Right now is a good time to remember what I said before. Mothers are needy, somewhat self-centered, inadequate, impatient people that God uses to do one of the most profession, honorable professions on earth, which is nurturing and caring and raising children. Need and struggle and inadequacy. Feeling that way, that's okay. What is not okay is feigned faith. That is not okay. To have this fruit of restored image bearers of God, we need to plant and nurture the corresponding plant or crop. And this case would be a genuine, active, non-hypocritical faith. We're going to speak a little bit more on that later. What else was going on in this home? Well, turn to 2 Timothy. While well, you're at 2 Timothy. You're still there. Turn to chapter 3. In the same letter, where Paul is continuing to write to his favorite disciple. In chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. From a child, Timothy, in your home you heard and were taught the Bible. And do you know what this word child means? I think of a child, you know. Actually, the word means infant, and I, I checked it, it. It's like the, the late Jesus, the babe in a manger. That's this word, child. When John the Baptist was in his mother's womb, that the child leaped, it was this word, child. So, so um, we could say it's from, from infancy, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Now, I understand several hundred years ago, or hundreds of years ago, Christian homes, and this is maybe in America, maybe it was also in Europe, I don't know. They had three books. They had the Bible, and they had maybe Fox's Book of Martyrs, or maybe you were a a Mennonite, you had the the Martyr's Mirror, and you had a songbook which a songbook in that case was a book a poem with no 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 music to it. Three books. So at least one third of the one third of the reading material in your home was the Bible. And today we have a few more books than that. You agree with me. (laughs) More books than that. And then we have the digital world, which is starting to make a significant impact, probably even in some of our homes. And with all that competition, how much of the word is getting into your children? This is not just for mothers, but it is for mothers. How much of the word, reading the word, memorizing, Discussing and teaching. When I was a boy, conservative Anabaptist perspective books were fairly rare. The Pathway Publishers was a major one in our day. They had a couple of magazines. They had some. They had some schoolbook readers that I read all of them, and they also had some stories and so on. The Girl in the Mirror and some other ones that I remember. And Rod and Staff began publishing in nineteen sixty seven. So there was there was a limited amount, but today we have a proliferation of good, solid, proper reading material of and growing exponentially. <clears throat> and so you know the next question, don't you? Can it be said Or will be said of your children that from infancy they were awash in the word of God. And awash means shaped and formed and nurtured by the truths of God. It's in their environment. It shapes their thinking. The word of God, the the worldview, God's worldview shapes their thinking. Uh, what they see as valuable and what they disdain is learned from the word of God. See, Timothy's home was a home, I believe, like that. If he learned the Holy Scriptures from an infant, he, he the values of God were implanted in him from the smallest on up. You know, when it comes to books and literature that we expose our children to, I, I I don't always even know where I'm I'm at. I know that, well, okay, in our home, uh, my my children read books at Grandma that we didn't have in our home, and so their their perspective did increase. And and there's there's a part of me that I I want my children to be educated and under and understand the classics. In other words, um, I, has, I have one of the classics later on, in, but I can't think of it right now, later on in the message here. But um, the whole idea of a classic like Hansel and Gretel, where you go into and you have this wicked witch in the forest. You know, that's a... There, You can learn lessons from that, that if something is too good to be true, it probably is. And maybe you don't have to go to those stories like that to get your lessons. But the whole idea is, as you, there, there's, there's a breadth of material that I can understand our children can have. But we're talking about the core. What I'm talking here is about the core. We're talking about the environment. We're talking about the atmosphere of your home. As you look at the reading materials in your home, and, and you, you collect them, what for atmosphere are they actually presenting? Are they silly and foolish, or uh, are they uh, you know kind uh, or even ungodly, or are they actually? D- 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 I can say that word properly now. Shandra, Did I say that right? <laughs> Close? Okay. Took me a couple of years. What the genre of the literature that, that you have in your home, what for input do your infants and your children and your youth, what is shaping them? Because it does shape them. The input, in other words, more is caught than taught. And your, your example, of course, Mother, your example teaches them a lot. But the things they are exposed to, it teaches them a lot as well. So they are either shaped by the word of God and value, or they are shaped by worldly concepts taught by silly books or videos, which in time also shapes their worldview and their values. And I suspect that Timothy's home was largely vacant of such, such input. Another thing I thought of about mothers is what we always talk about or harp about reveals what is important to us. And like my boys, my big boys now, my my boys, my oldest boys, when they were little, they were over at grandma, and grandma asked them. So what do you do at church? Well, what do you do at church? They had, they had it straight. We said, we sit still. <laughs> well, maybe I had a wrong emphasis. It's important to sit still in church. That's good. But what do you do at church? You worship the Lord. You listen to the word of God. But what we harp about, the children catch that. And... And uh, we want to shape them. In fact, we often, we often get a lot of things backwards. The Pharisees got it backwards when they, they talked about the Sabbath. They thought, they're, 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 not they thought, I don't know if they thought it, but their application of the Sabbath was simply, well, God made the Sabbath and he wanted someone to keep it, so he made man. Right? <laughs> no. That's completely backwards. But we are as human beings are good at getting things backwards. And so we think that a home is made so we can keep it clean, right? That's the purpose of a home. It's we homes are created so they can be kept clean. <clears throat> well, Homes don't, uh, our day, mothers, our day does not consist of properly flushed toilets and closed drawers, or toys picked up or laundry done. See, it includes all those things, and they are not they're not non issues. They aren't. But that's not the ultimate purpose for our homes or our children. The overriding purpose of why we have children to raise up faithful worshipers of God who love him, and fear him, and obey him. Answering, this is the purpose of raising children and having a home, answering their insistent questions. Again, sensing their heart condition, their moods, and teaching them, by the way, when you sit down, when you rise up, nurturing into them kindness, consistency, and thoroughness, and discipline. The other things in the home are incidental. Your calling, mothers, is to be a disciple maker. Your sin is not in your neediness or your inability to get all the work done in one day, nor is it Your desire to have some time alone, that's not your sin. Or even some time to talk to your husband. It's not a sin to desire fellowship with other ladies and to communicate your heart. But what is sin? Well, it would be rebellion. It would be neglect. It would be selfishness. It would be worldliness. It would be anger in your situation. Those are the things that we need to be repent of and to be sanctified from. Not from the fact that you don't know everything there is to know about the children's nutrition, or that um, that you don't understand all the different stages of a child's life. You don't need to repent of that, though. That's helpful. So, there are no super moms but there are moms with a mission there are moms with a mission these moms can rule teach and serve and nurture and build and this mom as she does that she herself is changed <laughs> into the image of the lord as she as she walks with her lord she herself is changed as she so walks. Like Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 talks about. So we're created to be God's poem. By grace are you saved through faith. Not a good works. And, but we are created unto good works. And God is creating us a poem. A prosperity type gospel for mothers. Would be one. That would promise you that you can be a super mom. That what you need is to love yourself more. Maybe you need to believe in yourself more. Maybe you need to maybe give more to this certain ministry. But you are promised success if you follow this formula. That's a prosperity type gospel for mothers. But most of God's work is done in the crucible and the refining pot. you know what and this is this is old times when they refined gold, they would put this ore in the pot, they put a huge fire under it, and they would melt that ore, and then the dross gets taken off the top. Most of your mission. Sorry to break the news, mothers. It's not a prosperity gospel. It comes in the crucible. It comes in the refinery. That sense of need, that urgent sense of need, the inadequacies, the sense of not reaching around, the vulnerability that you feel when you don't know exactly how to move ahead, That is actually when God does most of the work in your life. You know, when Paul had something in his life that severely bothered him, he prayed that God would take it away. And God said, no. And, he, and then Paul said, and he said, my grace, and God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul's response was, most gladly therefore will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So you can rest in the fact, mothers, that though you are needy and insufficient, God is at work. If you walk with him in un. Feigned faith, which is the key, which is the key. Some have said that motherhood is not for the faint of heart. Actually, motherhood is for the faint of heart. Because motherhood includes a million deaths to self. Losing your life for the sake of the gospel. And in this case, for the sake of nurturing your children. Giving yourself and your life and your sustenance and your sleep. If the Lord tarries. See, legacy. This is all words we could could, uh, speak on. Legacy, inheritance, heritage. They're all biblical concepts and they're all generational thinking. And if the Lord tarries, and I remember want to step back, if the Lord tarries and doesn't come back, you're gonna have if you have children, most likely you'll have grandchildren, and most likely you'll have great grandchildren, and most likely you'll have great-great grandchildren. What you are laboring today In one sense, it's for your great-great-grandchildren because you are forming a legacy. You're giving an inheritance, a heritage. And so that is where you are. Now I'm going to shift gears a little bit here and look at a few concepts of how homes tend to function. And this is, of course, going to be for both. These concepts, it's almost, I almost feel like I'm coming up here like I don't have them fully developed. So it's going to be sort of rough around the edges. I'm thinking about them, but they could have put a whole lot more thought on them. But I like to talk about the concepts of how homes tend to function. Picture your home as a garden, like the first garden. The first garden had two trees in it. Picture your home with a, as a garden with three trees in it. Each home is dominated by one of these trees, and we can pick fruit from any of these trees. I'm going to talk about first the tree of legalism. Well, no, I'm going to say the three trees. The tree of legalism, the tree of license or permissiveness, or the tree of liberty and grace. So one, you have the tree of legalism, a tree of license, and the tree of liberty. And I'm using trying to figure out words to describe them the best. But legalism occurs in a home when a parent tries to establish a set of values and rules and structures based on their own authority. They have, they have um, their idea of what they want in their home, and so they establish it. That in itself is okay, but it, it, it's, it, you'll see a little bit of what's wrong with it. And this, this one I feel like I this could just expand it. I just feel inadequate. But here it is. Dad, since he's the biggest, and since he can yell the loudest, he establishes the rules he wants these are the rules I want and they're going to be enforced. In legalism, generally, those are the rules that will make me look good in public. In conservative settings, this is a strict home. And dads tend to gravitate toward this model or method. The Pharisees were the strictest sect in the Bible, yet Jesus said that our righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees or we will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And homes who partake of this tree, take the fruit of this tree, you tend to have little trees in that home, little trees of striving, little trees of performance, trees of effort which ultimately ends up generally with the fruit of not being quite good enough. A home of performance-based legalism has just not quite enough attitude to uh, atmosphere to it. Well, legalism involves a lot of work, and there's not a good return to it. So some parents go for license, Or permissiveness. So instead of strictness, there is um, indulgence. Maybe there's a fear. And I've seen this. There's a fear that if I am, well, called strict. If I require something of my child, my child won't like me. My child will reject me if I uh, bring discipline into their life if I require exactness from him. Or maybe the philosophy of the world has permeated this home that says that children need to develop and develop their own bent and their own selves and you can't, shouldn't squash. But anyhow, for different reasons, there are some homes that are permissive. Maybe the child, they need to, the child needs to understand. You need to explain to the child that he understands it first before you correct him. And this one definitely turns into some kind of excuse why spankings are outdated or absolutely harmful. <clears throat> and these parents hide their indulgence behind the label of grace. Now, moms would tend to gravitate toward this method if there's a difference in that. The problem like we had a problem with legalism, which doesn't actually produce real righteousness and you never quite enough. The problem with licentiousness is that it leads to enslavement because people who who give license do not learn disciplines. But if they're given license, they soon become slaves to the things they indulge in. Uh, License and slaves, it's not free. If you indulge in whatever thing you want to indulge in, whatever you want to put in there, whether it's the food or whether it's the media or whatever it is that you want to indulge in, in time, it will enslave you if you do not learn the disciplines. And your freedom will shrink until there's none left. So legalistic people hide behind the label of being strict and licentious people hide behind the label of having grace. Now the third method, liberty or true grace is actually not halfway between the two. This is not a, and this is actually when I was thinking of what our children learn in literature. Um, This is not a Goldilocks situation. And I say Goldilocks, you all know what I mean because some of you have read fairy tales. (laughs) This is not a Goldilocks situation where this is too hard and this is too soft and we just go in the middle. Uh, Liberty is not like that. Liberty is of a different nature altogether. Liberty brings a standard and a gracious spirit together. Liberty is actually stricter than legalism in its right sense, as far as effectiveness. And liberty is freer than license. <clears throat> and I was trying to figure out, uh, but th- this one could be expanded tremendously. But So I'm un- only going to hold just one area where this actually Where one thing that this actually comes out and I feel very inadequate, but I will I will share what I have. Liberty can only properly happen, occur when the parents are in the place where the centurion was whom Jesus was so amazed about. You remember the centurion that said just just say the word and then my servant will be healed because I understand authority. And and the whole idea was, is this centurion was under authority. Well, because he was under authority, well, he could with, with um, he could have full authority and with freedom command those under him. There was this authority thing. I have freedom to command because I am under command. Wives are to submit to your husband. Now this is, I'm not going where you think I'm going. Wives are to submit to their husbands. That's clear. We understand that. Do you know it would be entirely appropriate for a wife to say to her husband sweetly, this submission thing, I'm not sure what it looks like. Husband, can you show me and that would be entirely okay. It'd be absolutely, it's actually essential. I'm from Missouri, the show-me state. Could you show me what submission looks like? Only God submits to no one. Christ submitted to his Father, and the man is to submit to Christ If he does, a husband submits to Christ. If he does for real, it will show absolutely as much in his life as it does when a wife very well submits to her husband. Now I will give you a test. What comes to your mind when you imagine a wife submitting to her husband? What comes to your mind? Just thinking what comes to your mind. A wife is submitting to her husband. What does that look like? Oh, let's, let's extend the test. What comes to your mind when you imagine a husband submitting to Christ? Does things pop up just as quickly or not? I wonder. <clears throat> is it easier to imagine one than the other? A husband submitted to Christ in relation to his wife. He loves her sacrificially. He is not harsh. He honors her as the weaker vessel. So a home of liberty, in contrast to a home of legalism or a home of license, is a home where the parents are under the proper authority. Wife to God and her husband, and a husband to God and Christ. And when we become slaves to Christ and submit to him, then we as a son or daughter of the Lord, we become free. Free in the Lord. He makes us free. And because liberty, which is purchased by Christ on the cross, lines up with how God made the world. And the righteousness of this liberty outdoes the Pharisees' righteousness, and it does not enslave as does license. So I have to bring this back to mothers a little bit. The tree of liberty. If you by grace have discovered that sweet spot of submission, which is submission to the Lord and to your husband, if the authorities above you know that you are principled and dependable, then you are at a good position to guide and to discipline your children. You can order. And organize your home from a position of strength and from a position of peace. Say peace and strength. I think of the Proverbs 31 woman. I think that's exactly what she did. I think she was in her place and, and she was a principal woman and from that position she could order her household. Discipline of your children. This is the and so when we're talking about the three trees, you can have, you can be strict and legalistic, or you can be licentious and permissive, or you can be in that place of liberty under God, where you actually have the uh, peace and the strength to guide your house. Discipline of children is always directed towards an end. Now, discipline is never pleasant when you're in the middle of it. That's what mm-hmm. the Hebrew says, and it's that way. We, we know that's the way. So what is discipline? And talk a little bit about your children here at the end here. Um, discipline, when your children are growing up, like a- a- any kind of, well, yeah, any kind of tree, when you see a tree growing the wrong way and you want it to grow straight, you will tie it so that it grows straight. That's discipline. When you see your children going this way and you don't, not good, you, you bring discipline into their lives. The, the, the point is down the road that they're going straight. And discipline takes time. Discipline is, structured order. It takes time. Just like uh, planting a garden and caring for a garden takes time, but you're looking for a fruit. Now, difficulty and hardship, I'm talking about from the mother's side now, is, is a, it's a story of grace, uh, you have to, again, you have to look at the bigger picture. You have to step back and look a little bit. Right now, you're in the middle of this situation, but you're in the middle of a story. Don't don't lose the bigger picture. If if you don't if you don't have a bigger picture, all you have is pain. But if you have a bigger picture, you 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 actually can walk in grace. And I, I want to just give an illustration of that. Uh, difficulties in child rearing, in child re- training, that is part of the story. And it's part of the blessing. And I want, I want you to step back a little bit and look at it. Someday your little children are going to grow up. And they will be adult children. And they will talk about their childhood. And some of the most amusing stories that children will talk about when they're adult children, when they're adults, not children, when they're adults, is some of the most difficult times you went through as in the family. I know one story. I had an uncle. When he was a little boy, he was sort of rambunctious, so mom, when she was hanging up the wash, tied him by his suspenders to the wash line so that he doesn't run away. He probably is a little toddler. I don't know how old he was. Well, problem solved. Take the pants off and run. And I don't think that had a good ending. And in fact, I think, the application probably hit its mark better. (laughs) But we laugh over that story. For decades and decades, Grandma is gone. Uncle Paul is gone. He grew up, I mean, I, I grew up, he was my favorite uncle. But these stories... I don't know what was going on in his childhood and what all uh, grandma was facing in training him, but I'm sure that was not a pleasant thing. In the middle of it, it doesn't look. So in the middle of training your children, get a little bit of a bigger picture. It's not always going to be this way. They're going to grow up. And some of those stories are going to be funny. So hardship... It's part of the story, and it's an essential part of grace. Okay, so just a little bit of a summary here. Mother is a verb. The mission of God-fearing mothers is to raise your children to be worshipers of God by having unfeigned faith, saturating them in the truth of God, disciplining them from the position of strength that comes from being under command, And not forgetting to see the humor in the ironic situations that pop up. To not be like Judges, but to be like Timothy's home. Happy Mother's Day.